Hey everybody, welcome to Real Movies Podcast, it's a podcast about documentaries, I'm Rob Carmax, I'm sitting here with John Rhodes. How's everybody out there? John, you doing okay? I'm doing well. This is this is one of our more interesting documentaries. I'm I'm excited. Ever since we I watched this, I've been excited to talk about this with you. Today we're talking about the 2009 documentary, The Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia. Can you tell me about the reputation of the White family in Boone County and West Virginia? I really rather not comment on that. When you represent whites, you don't know what you're going to get into. Shootings, armed robbery, embezzlement, forgery, drug cases, burglary, fights, things like that. I enjoy killing people, cutting them up, shooting them. I can't stop killing you. I kind of picked this documentary to contrast with our last documentary. And boy did it. The, uh, the Interrupters. And both have a lot of people that are um, struggling to get their moral compass. But that's one way to put it. At, <laughs> at least in, in you know in the interrupters, we have these people who are striving for good, and um, there are there is not a whole lot of good that is coming out of the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia. Now we should say that the whites. This is not a designation of ethnicity. This is yes. a, a family's and, last name, yes. and it just so <clears throat> happens, and by way of wonderful coincidence, it happens to be. White. Yes. They are the, you know, the crazy, you know, family you do not want to get mixed up with in Boone County, West Virginia. Yeah, and it's every bit as podunk as it sounds. Absolutely. We're introduced to this family because um, the the director of the movie, Julian Julian Nitzberg, he had made a documentary about one of the white siblings, um, Jessica called the Dancing Outlaw back in the 80s. The guys that run the Jackass crew, uh, Johnny Knoxville, Jeff Tremaine, they had found this documentary and they wanted to know more. They sent Julian Nitzberg back in to uh, find out more about these families and he just uncovered this huge world of crazy rednecks. Yeah, and that, what you just said, I felt like that was very telling, the fact that Johnny Knoxville was one of the executive producers. Yes. Like, when I'm watching the opening credits and his name shows up on the screen, I think, okay, I already know a little bit more about this movie, just yes. by virtue of the fact that his name is on but it. But I, I saw an interview, and he never met Oh, is that right? He never went there. He never, because... Coward. He know, well, no, he knows who he is as a... <laughs> he knows who he is as a celebrity. Yeah. And he knows that when he shows up places, people don't act natural. Mm. People try to go over the top and be like, look, I can out Johnny Knoxville you. And that's not what he wanted. Yeah. And so when and when he did this interview before the Tribeca Film Festival, he said, I never went there once because I didn't want to take away from what they truly are. Mm. And he didn't need to. He didn't need to take away. They are the craziest family I've ever seen. Yeah, it, it really is. Like, you, you can't believe it until you see it. it it's insane. And they're... You, I, I don't get the feeling that they're posturing for the camera. I feel like this no. is... I feel like this is exactly what they would be doing whether or not there's a camera crew in the room. <laughs> yeah. We get this crazy family from West Virginia who all come from from this D. Ray White and Bertie Mae White um, 
they have a bunch of kids and they all kind of stem from them. Well, I used to be water in the back. I used to try a little coke here and there. I smoked a little crack. Right here, listen. You want to hear the Boone County mating call? Sounds good, baby. It's a journey through their family tree. Like, one of my favorite things about the movie is that there's this visual they keep returning to, sort of giving you this, um, and I, I can't I can't describe it on the radio that well, but basically, right. like, it returns to the, this, this picture of a family tree, and then they use this graphic imagery to show you, like, okay, well, here's where Sue Bob is, or here, here's yeah. where Jesco is, and, and I thought that was a cool way to visually sort of introduce you to these new characters. Yes, it, they always put in context how they related to either D-Ray or Jessica, mm-hmm. because for them... They kind of all get their identity from Jessico because Jessico is the son of D-Ray, but he had a documentary made about him before, and so he is actually really wildly popular among this mountain culture. He's a celebrity. And, yeah, he is a mountain celebrity. Everybody knows him. They pay him to come and dance. Well, and they, and <laughs> they kept going back. Hank Williams III is in this movie. Yes. Oh. And he just shows up randomly, and he provides, like I guess, original songs about the White family. Right. And they, it keeps, like, every 20 minutes or so, it, it jumps back into, like, a shot with Hank Williams III playing and singing a song, and Jesco standing on a picnic table tap dancing. Yes. And, and it's, it's so random and weird. And it, it, it definitely goes to... <laughs> To show you that just because your dad and granddad were good at something, you might not be that great at something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a giant Hank Williams the third fan. But <laughs> um yeah, but I mean he uh it, it does. I mean he really likes this family and I think that he hires Jessica sometimes to come and tap dance for him at his shows around that area and some of the other big name places, uh some of the other big name kind of bands that tour that West Virginia area will uh pay Jesco to come and just tap dance for him. And so he has this following of people that really like his tap dancing. Um, it is something to see. Yes, no it doubt. is. And uh, and so everybody kind of relates to who they are from Jessico, even though they say that, that D-Ray was way better at dancing mm-hmm. than, and he was actually off to shoot a movie uh, when he got into a gunfight and got killed. Yeah, that was a yeah. shame. Yeah, that was. And a lot of the whites, we should say, die either violently or in prison. Yes. Like that's, <laughs> yes. He's not unusual, the fact that he was gunned down. No, two of his sons were killed yeah. uh, by gunshot, and several others were uh, several others were killed by uh, their spouse. Um, there were a couple of daughters that were killed by their spouses, and um, then a lot of them were ended up in prison. So what was your... Okay, first of all, of, of all of our characters, because we have a lot to go through, who who was it that you kind of most associated with, and we'll take it from there? Who was it that you wanted to see more of, and, and we'll kind of take it from... I gotta tell you, man, th- this, is, this was one of the major struggles of this movie, is that I really... I struggled to like anybody in this movie. <laughs> I guess the one person I'm most easily associated with was one guy we saw very very little of and it was a guy named Pony Yes, and he was the only one of D-Ray and Bertie's children who has ever left West Virginia and he moved to Minneapolis and now he's living as a house painter there and he uprooted his family and he moved there and as he's talking to the camera 
he, he's talking about how he, he just couldn't, he knew he was going to either die or end up in jail. If he, like, that's, and he knew that his kids would end up there too. And, like, they would interview his kids and they, they affirmed, like, yeah, I'd probably be dead right now if, if we'd stayed back. And so he's, he's not living the highlight. It's not like he, like, moved to Hollywood and went all Jed Clampett. I mean, he's living in Minneapolis painting houses. But by the standards of the rest of the White Clan, he is a success story. Yeah. And the, so far as, as I can see, the only success story. And, and really, the only, like ray of hope that we get out of yeah him. he's the only guy who sees that environment and thinks that there's something not not okay about this and i need to get my family out everybody else not only do they live there they fully embrace it yes. and I, I had a hard time with that like that i, I have a hard time latching on characters who are so, so so just bent on their own destruction which this right. this group of people certainly is the the really cool thing that i saw uh when they interviewed Pawnee and his family is his kids understood yeah, his kids did not have you took me away. They didn't have this attitude of so mad that they're now in Minnesota and <clears throat> they're away from the rest of their family. They are proud of their the fact that they make good grades now and they're proud of the fact that they have a job or that they can work or that they're not, you know, completely, you know, entrenched in that drug and alcohol induced, you know, culture and and they like staying away from all of that yeah that is i think the biggest ray of hope that we get from this movie in west virginia as crazy and violent as it is they're they're respected in a certain kind of way and yeah they, by, and by certain people by certain people yeah. they're not respected by the district attorney or the, the no. in, in fact they're often described by the people outside as they're they're infamous and, and essentially they're yes. they're manipulative they're crafty they know how to trick people they're almost like a family of con artists is how yeah. they're seen and that's it's interesting but it's also like you get a sense of there's a certain group of people that has a lot of admiration and love for the whites but then there's like Hank Williams III right. and there's also another group of people the higher echelons of society who think that they are dragging everybody else down in fact um, the, the district attorney it, at one point says they don't represent anything in West Virginia other than the whites. In fact, he so clearly wants to tell the documentarians, please don't let everyone in America believe that this is what everyone in West Virginia looks like. Right, and I, I, I think that is important because if you just watch, if you have no, um, if you have no reference of West Virginia, which I don't, yeah. and, and you watch this movie, you're going to think that everybody in West Virginia is just like this. And, and they took the one of the worst families in West Virginia. Yes, they did. And highlighted them. Yeah, I don't want to pigeonhole West Virginia as this, you know, terrible cesspool place, but it does it does have a really long history of some very uh, troubling things, and one of these is, is this family and, and kind of the culture that is brought up to glorify this family. Mm-hmm. I think that, that that's really the, the thing that West Virginia has a culture within it that not only they don't reject them, they glorify them, and they they you know hold them up on a pedestal as this is the greatest. They're folk heroes. Yes. I mean, like like we said, Hank Williams III has written songs about this family. Right. This just horribly amoral group of people who who have no sense of like <laughs> I, I don't of purpose or of of greater responsibility other right. other than well you know the song the fight yeah <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to say it. Punch, fight, and and make love in a very harsh manner. Yes, very much so. <laughs> and and we should. That's a good point to to that. That's a good place to say. If you're wondering about whether or not to watch this movie, this is rated R 
for a lot of reasons. Or actually, I, it's technically it's not rated. It doesn't have an MPAA right. rating. But if it did, it would absolutely be rated R. And unlike The Interrupters, it's not necessarily a movie you should just go ahead and let your kids watch. Right. <laughs> I mean, the first time I saw the movie, I, I saw it on Showtime. And uh, the second time I saw it on Netflix. And Netflix actually censors uh, when she pulls the guy's pants down and he just goes crazy. Oh, seriously? Uh, yeah, but Showtime does not and so you see full frontal male nudity going crazy uh within the first like 10 to 15 minutes i have never been more grateful on, for netflix than i am right now yeah, that's how i watched it if you watch it on showtime it it doesn't censor it didn't put a little censor bar on it i didn't know that netflix did that i thought they, they ran stuff on censor that's interesting I, I didn't either but i i was not expecting to see that the first time i saw the movie yeah and then i was like dang that dude's junk's in my face <laughs> and then <laughs> And then when I saw it on Netflix, I kind of knew it was coming, and I was cringing, and all of a sudden the black censor bar came up, and I was like, oh, well, way to go, Netflix. <laughs> Thank you for not making me watch that. There were – that's not to say they protected us from everything. Oh, no, no, no. Because there were certainly points and, – and maybe this is a good point. To, this is the most – just categorically unattractive group of people I've ever laid yes. eyes on. Like any any other movie, you can find one or two people that you think, all right, well, that's a nice looking individual. There's not a single no. person in this documentary that you lay eyes on that doesn't look like they've just beaten, been beaten with an ugly stick. Yes. I mean, that's a terrible thing to say, and I feel bad. You don't see that kind of thing in movies a lot. But man, this is this is a group of people who has been just ravaged by time and drug use. Yeah. And... Uh, and, and a lot of the main figures in the movie are are women, are the women of the white family. Like you spend yes. a little bit of time with like Jesco, and you've got um, Pony, and you've got a couple other people. Like the the dude who who ended up in prison. Um, what's his name? Bo Bra Brandon. Oh, Brandon. Brandon. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> but there's I'm a lot scrolling through my list here. There are lots of women. That really, it spends more time on the women than anything else. You've got like Kirk, who has the baby, and um, oh, my, one of my favorite lines in the movie is you've got this woman named Sue Bob, who I mean, it looks like a, a man in a ponytail, and and she's got this. Every woman in this in this movie has a deeper voice than I do, and yeah. and Sue Bob early in the movie, she's talking about. And this is a quote. She says, "I've always been the sexiest one in the family." <laughs> And I think her voice <laughs> might be um, such so deep because um, the crack that she has smoked has like crystallized some of her voice. Well, pots. That's the, every yeah. every single person in this family smokes a lot of crack and pot, and they 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 snort coke. I mean, this is and, and they show and they just crush pills. Yeah, yeah, like, and, and they show it on camera. Like that, I can't believe there was never a point where any of this family was like. All right, well, let's just wait till the cameras leave. They, they no. just, there, there are a couple scenes of they're like in somebody's bathroom or in the kitchen, and they're just like run, like cutting lines of coke and snorting it up their nose. I mean, I think the most disturbing thing, the most disturbing part of the entire movie, is you have a character named Kirk, and Kirk has just had a baby. I mean, she's had a baby less than ten hours before this, and she gets a bottle of peel of pills crushes them up on her um on the bedside table in the hospital and is doing lines with her baby in the room in the hospital is, yes in the hospital that's less than 10 hours old now with with all that being said part of the movie is surprise surprise they take kirk's baby away from her and put her in cps like cps takes a the baby away from her. Just she's, right out of the hospital. Yeah, she doesn't even get to go home with the baby or anything like that because they found drugs in the baby's system. Well, what? Yeah, 
That's I mean, crazy. And so, you know, I mean, you realize that that there is some there's some really messed up stuff here. It's really interesting to see how destructive and how crazy these people are, but there is a love for their own family. Oh yeah, they're they're loyal within themselves. Yes, for sure. Um, I, I think Mamie is Mamie is the the oldest sister of Jessica, um, daughter of D Ray and and Bertie May, and she does have this sense of she needs to take care of her mama. She needs to, you know, she she does kind of feel an obligation to kind of keep her family going and together. And, and if they need something, she's there for them for the most part. Um, and she becomes kind of the new, you know, matron of the family, like matriarch of the family. Uh, especially because halfway through the movie, you see uh, Bertie May, the her mother dies. It's kind of interesting because she has this, you know, screw it all um, kind of mentality of I don't care, but then she really does. Like, she really does have this kind of slight caring part to her for the rest of her family. Well, there was this really, I, I want to say maybe it was even the last scene in the movie, she's being interviewed and she's talking about living, this, and as a, as a pastor, this is always <laughs> yes. interesting to me, but she's talking about how Jesus died on the cross. We're meant to live righteous and choose the right way of living. And I'm like, have I been watching you for the last hour and a half? Like, yes. snort cokes off a bathroom <laughs> yes. tile floor, and and then and then at, at the end of that, the the interviewer asks her, "What do you want people to to do at your funeral?" And and she goes, "Just go crazy, just blow pot smoke in my face and snort coke lines <laughs> off my forehead." And, and, like, and then she says, I'll be in hell with the rest of them. Yeah. So, like, how much she takes in of her own... I, I know that she can spout off different things of Christianity, but how much she believes that... If she really did believe that, she wouldn't believe that she was going to hell, so... That's a byproduct of living in the South. Yeah. You, you have that vocabulary. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. And, I mean, you know, Kirk is spouting off but Bible verses too as she's about to go into rehab and goes through uh, a two day bender in which she basically says I'm going to do every drug every uh, I will drink anything smoke anything and snort anything that is put in front of me for the next two days yeah, she has her because, own little private Mardi Gras yeah yeah she she goes through Fat Tuesday and, <laughs> and just says I'm going to do it all uh, because she's got 48 hours till she goes into rehab and she wants to make sure that she gets it all uh, out of her system, so, um, and I guess there is a small bit of hope with with Kirk. She's fighting to get her her kid back, which okay, I kind of empathize with the fact that a mother wants her child back. Like, but she doesn't do herself any favors to document all of the unbelievably destructive things that she does in the process. So if a judge were to, I don't know have Netflix or, <laughs> um, Showtime yeah they could see what it is that she's doing and maybe think you know I'm, I'm still not sure that she has changed but then when she does go to rehab she goes there for 60 days and then she I mean she kind of has the same reality that, that Pony does of it, it would be a terrible thing for me to go back I and we don't I don't know if she ever went back it doesn't she stays at the rehab facility yeah. because apparently she can um, as long as she wants. She can stay there as long as she wants and, you know, she has her son there 
and she's supposedly, you know, doing well for at least 60 days or whatever. Well, she did get weekend visitation yeah. of the baby. Yeah, and so, I mean, we see that she is progressing somewhat, but at the same time, you know, she even admits that it's that it's being around the rest of her family. It's it's going back that, that will pull her back in. Yeah, and that's... And yeah. She makes that choice to not go, you know, right up until the end of the movie, which... You know, who knows what she's done now? Who knows where she is now? Yeah, and that's, I kept thinking, like, well, where else is she going to go? She's kind of stuck. I mean, unless she gets brave like Pony and just, like, sets out and just starts tr- driving with her two or with her one kid. And, right. Because, I mean, who knows if she's actually going to get custody of the other kid, which is going to sort of tether her to that area. Yeah. And and really, that kind of gets into the fatalism of the movie, which we can talk a little bit more about later if, if you want. But, um... Just like even even while she's in rehab and even while she's doing well, if that was anybody else, I'd be or in any other documentary, I'd, I'd think, wow, that's great. She's really improving. But really, I kept thinking, it's it's just a matter of time. I mean, look yeah. where she, you know, how how in the world can you survive and do better in this environment? I mean, her kid, I mean, and her kid is crazy. Like yes. like this ten year old kid keeps flipping off the camera and saying <clears throat> things like he's gonna blow the judge's head off. That was the one. That was the only time <laughs> when Mammy's like said. Can't say that. There's cameras. You won't go to jail. <laughs> yes. Like that, they're doing coke off the toilet, and that's okay for the cameras to see, but if the kid threatens the judge, like, hey, let's just dial it back yeah. a little bit. <clears throat> and, and I mean, the thing that you kind of see over and over is they have a blame everybody else mentality, yeah. which is which is so hard to, you know, want to help somebody that has this blame everybody but yourself because, um, you know, Kirk and her son are both uh, – both talk about how it's this guy who um, knocked her up with her her baby that was taken away. How it's his fault, and and they hate Dennis and they want to get Dennis and he wants to cut Dennis's head off and oh, and yeah. she wants to you know kill Dennis and I can't stand Dennis. Well, Dennis didn't do everything to you. Yes, Dennis probably is not the greatest guy on earth, but it's your possible Dennis isn't great either. Yeah, <laughs> your situation is not created by one single person. And uh, this, you know, this mentality of, well, I just need somebody to blame for it. Yeah. Um, that is, I, I think that's rampant throughout their whole um, family. Definitely. So what would you say, if you were going to summarize the main idea of this documentary, what would, what would you say is the point they're trying to get across? Uh, at least you're not in this family. Like, yeah. I'm not exactly sure. Like, and and I, saw, I when I watched the interview, they said... You know, they didn't really want to tell a story. They just wanted to show people that this existed. Yeah, and and you know and, what? There's value in that. I appreciate yeah, that. Like they didn't have. There's no moral lesson to be learned here. There is no. I mean, other than don't be like them. Yeah. Uh, there is no uh, feel good. Let's walk away with this. It's more of a straight up old school. They even say they wanted an old school vignette documentary where we kind of show you. This is who they are, and this is what they do. Yeah. Um, and and I find it – I mean, I think that's fine. Uh, I don't think it has to be anything more. I don't think it has to necessarily um, come up with some you know, uplifting moral conclusion at the end. But, I mean, it's just scary to know that there are and, – and to think that they, they latched on to this one family. But like I said, there's probably families like this everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I think the main idea of the documentary is the whites are freaking crazy. Yeah, like that. That seems to be yeah. the moral takeaway of this whole this whole story. That there is a family in West Virginia that are nuts, and Hank Williams the Third 
loves them. Yes, he does. Yes. It was one hell of a night. I just went on the rampage pretty much. I said, Brandon, what are you going to do, shoot me? It's just strange how everything had happened in our family. It seems like our lives has just been a party. And we're just living like as a story. At your funeral, what do you want people to do? Rock and roll, baby. So what were positives and negatives that that you take away. I mean, I, we haven't even scratched the surface on every single character. That's yeah, in and, and we can't. There's, so, there's just no way. Yeah, I mean, if you want... If you have not seen this movie, please just watch it to know that... Watch it to know that you are not in the worst family in the world. Uh, that you have some moral high ground in your family over this family. And, like, you will go... <laughs> watch it and, so like, you can feel superior. Yes! <laughs> watch it so, people. Watch it so that you don't think that you are a part of the worst family in the world because I'm almost positive these are the worst family in the... This is the worst family in the world. It's it's pretty um, bad. There's no clan history, as far as I can tell. Like, that, I kept waiting for that. And that was, like, the only... Well, at least they're not the clan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they didn't... They didn't say that. I don't know. The Confederate flags are everywhere. Confederate flags everywhere. Yeah. So whether or not they um, were in the Klan, something tells me they might be Klan sympathizers. Probably, uh, they probably just couldn't deal with the organizational yes, aspects of I, being I, in the I would Klan. probably say that there's a little too much organization involved. <laughs> the membership <laughs> and the dues yes. and the meetings. Yeah. That's, that's, that's bull crap. We're yeah. not screw meetings. I'm going <laughs> to meet. Even though they might be the most hated family, well, they're probably the most free they are the true rebels of the South. It's a hard life being in the white family. The, the thing that I really kept, like, just, it made me cringe was seeing all these little kids running around going, you are being entrenched in their craziness. Like, you have no hope. Yeah. You little kid that is, you know, eight years old and that's running around with a cigarette in your mouth because your dad gave it to you, you have, you have no hope. Of, of getting out of this, you know? I mean, you are going to do the same thing. You're going to be the next problem. You're going to be the next kid that goes on a rampage and, you know, shoots his shoots his aunt's boyfriend in the face and gets 50 years in prison for it. That, to me, like, was one of the more interesting stories, was the story of Brandon shooting that. I mean, he shot this guy yeah. three times. What? I the, can't believe he's still alive. I can't. Well, not only that, he's doing an interview. He says he shot his jaw off. You know, <laughs> yes. but, I mean, he's, he's, he seems fine. Yeah. Like, that. that's a tough guy right No there. kidding. And that's Bertie Mae's boyfriend. I, I mean, Mamie's boyfriend, not Bertie Mae. That's Mamie's That was boyfriend. Mamie's boyfriend? That is Mamie's boyfriend. I hate to say this. He seemed a little too good for Mamie. <laughs> <laughs> He's the meanest, the oldest, and the baddest one there. Oh my gosh! Yeah, they had like these little like family slogans like that. It just, yes. So yeah, for me, positives. One I mentioned already. I really I enjoyed the family tree visual. I thought it was a good way to sort of introduce us to the to yes. the app to the to the widespread thing that is the white family. I also I just found it incredibly interesting. I thought the little vignettes were, were very the, the the Brandon story and, and a couple of other things. I wasn't really I, I kinda got bored. Like every every so often they cut to 
Like, all right, well, they're drinking and partying at the bowling alley. Well, now yeah. they're, the, like, I was like, if you've got so much footage of so many different stories, don't waste my time. I know they drink and do drugs. You've made that clear. Show me, sh- tell me more interesting stuff than that. Right. So I, I felt like they kept, they just kind of kept beating that one thing. So I mean, I'm getting into the net, yeah. but I did feel like no. the stories themselves were very interesting. All right, just for this, um, just for this documentary, what were the most shocking things to you in this? Like, oh, what gosh. were the things that, that you just... You know, just made you kind of jaw drop in here. Well, the fact that the the dude got shot in the jaw and is able to do an interview, I found that to be somewhat <laughs> yeah. shocking. Yeah. Um, I don't know because I, I've that's a that's a good question. I should have been prepared for that because that's that's a good question. I guess just I, I I continue to be surprised at how willing they were to just confess to openly to crimes on camera. Yeah, like that <laughs> that to me seemed very like I can't believe you're telling me that you've done this like this seems like this would be admissible in a court I think there was a lot of things that struck me I don't know if they struck me shocking but just like some really like quirky funny things when Bertie Mae was turning 84 years old and the cake that they brought her out the candle said 85 and like they were all very aware because they talked about it's her 84th birthday 84th birthday the cake the cake comes out and the candle say 85 like it's just things that you know you it's just kind of funny on how they kind of embrace stupidity. Um, one girl, after Kurt gets her um, baby taken away, she wants to, I guess, feel solidarity by tattooing um, the baby's name on her arm. And so she gets Kirk's son while he is wasted and, you know, so high to try and give her a tattoo. And he keeps trying to misspell the name, and she keeps having to spell it for him. I mean, the last tattoo person I want to give the last time, <laughs> the last tattoo I want to get is by somebody who's completely stoned and drunk. I mean, things like that were just continually happening. And I was like, really, like, like you've got to be somewhat smarter than this. I mean, I don't know. It's it's so there's so many just little things. I think the biggest thing that shocked me was just when she wanted to get her baby back, yet she was doing all of the things that... We got the baby taken away. Yeah, yes, yeah. and then I'm, I'm... Thank God her baby wasn't with her during those times. I mean, her son saw it, but, yeah. um, you know, and, she yeah. could have gotten that baby killed easily. It's, it's unbelievable the baby, baby's alive at all. Yeah. And, and what I think you're tapping into, I feel like we're kind of veering into, at least I'm for sorry. me... No, 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 I feel like we're veering into the negatives. Because okay. that's, yeah. that's, where I was, that's where we were going to go next anyway. But the the movie, to me, almost seems to celebrate, or at least the, the culture, it seems to be celebrating cultural insanity. Yes. Like, And this is my beef with a lot of cultures like this one. And I grew up in a small town where there are little pockets like this nothing nothing quite to the level of the whites but you definitely have like these little pockets of people who the idea of ignorance and violence is a point of pride yes. and that just I, that just wears out wears me out it just makes me tired and i i and i just i i just have very little patience or or sympathy for it yeah you know and and so that that becomes like all that stuff it's 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 almost and, and maybe I was sort of reading Johnny Knoxville into this a little bit, but almost mm-hmm. like celebrating like look how dumb we are and look how great we think it is, right? You know, and I, I mean, after I saw the interview with Johnny Knoxville about this movie, I kind of think he's much smarter than he has a character that is Johnny Knoxville that he portrays on Jackass, and yeah. then he has who he really is, and he he's a. He's a smart guy that I think he knows what he's doing, and 
he knows that there are plenty of people out here there that want to see this and maybe this is a part of the the world that you don't even know exists yeah i mean if you live in a major metropolitan area you might not ever realize that this yeah. is this is in existence out and, there and really even more than the interrupters this really was like visiting a foreign country yes like and well i mean the guy the the defense attorney that's talking about it compares west virginia to africa on other states coming in and reaping their resources and taking them away and leaving us with this mountain these you know these mountain culture and this uh, you know these hillbillies up in the hills that were just kind of a product of of being worked through the system and you know that's when he's also making the plea that not all of West Virginia is like this and yeah. so um, yeah I mean I, I can I can easily see that this is very much like another country yeah and, and really the the thing the thing that i just it made me just sad about watching this documentary is that there's just this undercurrent of fatalism and nihilism it really like even even moments that sort of could have hope are kind of drenched in hopelessness like the idea that kirk's in rehab but i mean yeah. so what i mean that that's that's only going to last her so long only until she goes home yeah and and this is in my mind this is the exact opposite of the interrupters because in the interrupters you have this culture of of deep what could be deep despair and violence but this group of people from ceasefire have found a way to offer hope and and redemption out of that and yet in the wild and wonderful whites of west virginia you have the opposite you have this group of people who they have no hope that all they have is their their like eat drink and whatever because we could die anytime and it's it's very there's no advocate for them there is no, no there's, there's no, no there's there's no immediate yeah there's nobody that one, they would need somebody that can be accepted into the culture to pull them out of it. Yeah. And two, they would need somebody to, I mean, to continue to fight for them and fight for them, and, and that's just not happening. Yeah. So. And, and maybe and maybe that's why it just seems so so dark and sad and hopeless and nihilistic at the end. Right. Or did you have other negatives? Um, I mean, no. I, I really... <clears throat> There's stuff that just scares me about the family and the fact, and rightly that, so, yeah, who they are and what they do, and and so a little bit of kind of scares me for humanity um, <laughs> that we're capable of yes. this. Um, so I mean, it's a I, I found it I found it absolutely fascinating um, as a documentary. I find it fascinating. I mean, I, I probably more so than you enjoy watching a good car wreck. Um, I I really like to watch some chaos sometimes and just see how it develops. But there is there is nothing good to come out. I mean, there is no hope at the end of the movie. No, it's it's very it's it's just again it's just drenched in despair. It does. It, I mean, even though a lot of the movie is kind of put together as a comedy, I think it's meant yes. to. At the end, you don't get a comedic sense of oh that was fun. You have this like sort of sad sense, like wow, like there are children who this is this is their reality. Yeah. I think that was the part that that was really hard for me was to go. Although this was funny, and although it was kind of you know it was funny to watch these people you know get drunk and and, walk, and you know go all over themselves and just you know just be crazy and and nuts. Yeah, they look at all the kids that are running around at the family reunion. Look at all those kids. Every yeah. single one of them is going to do the same thing. Yeah, this is. I mean, and you bring a camera crew be, back in twenty years, and it's the same stories with different people. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be littered with uh, convictions and, and, and arrests, and they're going to be more murders, and there's going to be more, you know, destruction, and 
and it's not going to get any better until somebody really does try to help them. And I'm not sure, and this is what's sad, is I'm not, like you said, there's no advocate. I'm not sure that anybody out there, there's no Amina Matthews who cares yeah. enough to try. Yeah. And what's, what's kind of crazy is they said that they weren't that way until D-Ray, the grandfather, kind of the, 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 grand, the patriarch of the family died. Mm-hmm. And that's when everybody went crazy. So, I mean, yes, he got shot in a gunfight, but he was keeping it together. Um, there was a unifying yeah. personality. I mean, he sure. wasn't letting him go crazy. Then when he got killed, nobody could keep him together, and that's when they uh, went nuts. So yeah. until they get some other really strong um, family member, I mean, it's going to have to be a family member yeah. that does that. Um, so who knows? I don't know. Who knows who will be able to do it? Well, that's right. Okay. Um, I I thought it was wildly entertaining. Um I have seen it multiple times. Uh, there's something that kind of draws me back to the to the the chaos, and so I'm gonna rate it uh, 7.5. That's pretty good. That's yeah. a good rating. I, I mean, I liked it. I, I would watch it again. Really? Yeah, I would. Uh, anytime I, I want to, I call it the state fair syndrome. Uh, the only reason I go to the state fair <laughs> is so I can feel better about my life. Um, <laughs> and so, anytime I would feel down about. Uh, me in my life, I would go, you know what? Not as bad as these guys. Yeah. Feel better. And that's true. Yeah. I, I'm going to give it a five. I, I, I liked it. I, I found some of the, the, the narratives kind of interesting. And I and the, and the characters, like you said, you'll, you'll never... Like, there's no way I'll be able to go and see this with my own eyes. Like, even if, yeah. even if I wanted to, I'd never come out alive. No. You know? And so... I'm I'm glad this window was open for me, and I'm glad I got to see it. I have no desire to watch it again. <laughs> it, just, it just left me feeling again hopeless and sad, and 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 maybe that was the intent. I don't get the feeling that that was the intention. I think the intention was we want you to see how crazy this is and see how like wacky this group of people is, and they're out of control. And it's like you said, it's a big chaotic train wreck. Right. And it just like the more I watch it, the just I just I just didn't want to hang out with this group of people anymore. I just had yeah. you know. I, I, I feel I feel bad that this this has been their their situation, but I just get again I just get so like bogged down by like you I mean you're creating your situation. This isn't like inner city Chicago where there's no jobs or like I mean and I, I realize there are some economic circumstances, but like the DA says, not everybody in West Virginia is like this. This group of people has created their own world. And and they're celebrating their defiance and their ignorance, and it's this fatalistic, nihilistic, just despair. And I just, it just, I don't know. It, it just kind of left me feeling bummed out. Uh, a quick shout out to we now have uh, some followers on Tumblr. Yes, that uh, are at least following us, whether they're listening or not. Uh, here's to you, Tumblr followers. Um, <laughs> we really want you to listen. And uh, so if you decided to follow us, then great. Hey, go like us on Facebook. If you're yes. already following us on Tumblr, why not? Absolutely. You know, we're a Real Movies Podcast at Facebook. Yeah. Uh, next week, our documentary is going to be Exit Through the Gift Shop. Yes. Which now, I'm really excited about. Is it a documentary or a mockumentary? We will have to, we will have, to have that discussion because there is a lot to be said that... It might be a hoax. Yeah. Well, and so, as of this recording, I haven't seen it. Yeah. John has. I haven't. So yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching. I'm a big fan of the artist Banksy, and so this is. I've been I've been dying to see this movie for a couple of years. And I just never made the time. So this is this is a great opportunity. Yes. You can find John's blog at don'tputmetosleep.blogspot.com, and you can follow Real Movies Podcast at Twitter. Yeah, Real Movies at Twitter, like Twitter hashtag Real Movies, and then on Tumblr. 
at realmoviespodcast.tumblr.com. And again, you can find us on Facebook and like us yes. that way. I'm Rob Carmack. You can find my blog, robcarmack.blogspot.com. Twitter, it's just my name, Rob Carmack. I'm also on another podcast called Around the Wicket, which should be posted eventually. I'm not <laughs> sure. Like we, We've been having some posting <laughs> issues. So anyway, uh, tune in next week. We'll be talking about Exit Through the Gift Shop. All right. John, we'll catch you later. See you next week. You can smell a whiskey burning down Copperhead Road.